From tornadoes to hurricanes, blizzards, and everything in between, you're listening to the Stormfront Freaks Podcast. The Stormfront Freaks are former television meteorologist Mark Massaro, collegiate senior in atmospheric science Brady Harris, digital meteorologist and weather producer for The Lift on the Weather Channel app, Dina Knightley, freelance on-camera meteorologist and former Weather Channel meteorologist Kim Cunningham, and I'm your announcer and Skywarn Network radio operator Mark Johnson. Now, here's the moderator of the Stormfront Freaks podcast, amateur storm spotter Bill Johnson. All right, welcome to the most entertaining weather podcast on your listening and viewing device. This is Stormfront Freaks, which is brought to you by Accurite. Um, we actually had, if you guys remember, we had Brett Ratner from Accurite on uh, back in our Black Friday episode. Uh, remember, he was like coming in on re-entry or something. We thought he was <laughs> yeah, that's right. International Space Station. Uh, anyway, <laughs> a great guy, but uh, he's with Accurite. Accurite's the leader in time, temperature, and weather technology. Shop the number one weather station brand in North America at Accurite.com. So thanks for listening and watching. This is episode 24, and we are excited to have our guest is Storm Chaser and National Weather Service researcher Gabe Garfield. Gabe. Yay! Um, and I just, I'll, I'll preface this, you know, Gabe, I, I introduce you sort of, this is not your formal introduction, but uh, <laughs> with Storm Chaser and National Weather Service researcher, because I just think Storm Chaser sounds a little bit more exciting than <laughs> researcher. So I know uh, both of them are awesome. We look forward to talking to you about that. But that's why I introduced it that way, just so you know. I agree. Um, <laughs> we're also going to be uh, discussing storm chasing safety. And uh, we'll finish up with our weather fools and WX resources. So stick around. Uh, I want everybody to know, and you might know this. We mentioned it a little bit last episode. We have been approved as a NOAA Weather uh, Ready Nation ambassador. Uh, so nice. Uh, congratulations. Um, and all that means for us is that, you know, our goal is to continue to talk about safety and, and obviously we're about severe weather, but we want to better educate people and continue to do that on how to be safe, how to take action, how to do those things. So it's, it's just fun to get that recognition and, and be a part of that as well. So last is if you're watching our live show, uh, we will be monitoring Twitter throughout the recording. Uh, for your questions and comments. So feel free to jump on Twitter if you have questions for any of the freaks or for Gabe. Uh, just on your Twitter, put hashtag StormfrontFreaks so we can find your question and, and we'll try and get to those if we can uh, during the show. Everyone always looks better, sounds better, <laughs> tastes better during happy hour. Uh, if you're new yeah. to listening, yeah, wow. I don't know. <laughs> It, listen, if, if you're new to watching or listening to the show, uh, it's always happy hour during Stormfront Freaks. And so uh, we're going to find out what everybody's drinking tonight and introduce you to everybody. First, uh, we got MJ up in central Minnesota. MJ, what do you got tonight? Here we are, and I'm back. I've had this oh, probably a few months ago. I'm back to the uh, Castle Danger uh, Brewing Company out of Two Harbors, Minnesota, and I've got their Danger Ale tonight. Higher, Ooh. higher. higher. Well, let's see the can. Let's see the can. Does yeah. that have something on it there? Price tag. Oh. Price tag. Yeah, no. Okay. Oh, it looked like we, yeah. it's a storm. It's it's a storm yeah. on Lake Superior with a lighthouse. Oh, cool. oh that right. is very cool. I was trying That's to awesome. see it. Yeah. All right. Dina's in Atlanta. Dina, what do you got? Well, I decided not to go too crazy, but I got my Merlot in my nice Wonder Woman glass. All right. <laughs> very nice. <Wow. laughs> you know, I got to get they up make... it in a few hours, so I didn't want to go too crazy. They make Wonder Woman wine glasses, huh? 
They got everything. <laughs> they do have everything. Yeah. And if, if they got it, I probably have it or I wear it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. On that note, uh, I am. I was just recently uh, up in Wisconsin. And while I was up there, I picked up a six-pack of Fixed Gear American Red IPA beer. This is from Ooh. Milwaukee, Wisconsin, from Lakefront. It has 6.8% uh, alcohol by volume mm. and 54 IBUs. So it's got a little hoppiness to it. Ooh, kick. Ooh that's my kind of beer. Very good. You would probably like that. Then we got Maz in Cincinnati. Maz, what are you drinking tonight? Hey, I have, not to outdo the Merlot, I've got a Cabernet and cheese and crackers. <laughs> oh, my. <laughs> so He's I won't be whistling. It's a party at Maz's house. That's right. There's no whistling after the crackers. So all the chewing you hear, we know, yeah, we know where that's coming from. It's a soft, it's a soft cracker. <laughs> all right, Kim in Atlanta. Kim, what are you drinking tonight? You always got something good. I've got another good IPA, and this one comes from Athens, Georgia, home of the dogs. Um, this is Creature Comfort, and it's actually in high demand. It's actually kind of hard to get, but it's an IPA, and it's it has some citrus flavor to it, and I do love the IPAs that have citrus flavor, but this is called Tropicalia. And again, I went to Total Wine and they only had like, they had actually had a limit. You could only buy two six packs and that's all you could get of this. So if you haven't had this one and you like IPAs, I think you'd really enjoy it. So very good. Hard, very good. hard to get. It's hard uh, to get. Hard to get. Low, low supply, unless... You're Kim Cunningham. Then you can have as much. You can. Then you, I took, I took you went home with like six or seven. I did. Here comes Kim. That's okay. All right. And then we, we have our guest. We're going to, again, not, not as formal introduction, but let, let's find out. Gabe is in. Uh, we just found out he's uh, in a hotel. Uh, we won't we won't ask any more about that. <laughs> However, uh, he is in Memphis, Tennessee, home of Graceland. What are you drinking, Gabe? Well, uh... I am teetotaling it tonight because I just got here about 30 minutes ago, and I am <laughs> I brought along some V8 energy drink. It's pomegranate be- blueberry. It's very uh, oh, nice. that's V8. V8, wow. yeah, only wow. calories apparently. So I feel energy. Is that like a Bloody Mary with something else in it, or what? <laughs> <laughs> I have no idea. I don't drink Bloody Mary, so yeah. <laughs> I, I think those guys make right. pretty much everything these days. All right. Well, let's let's get to uh, let's get to our formal introduction to our guest, and uh, get to what we're all here for. Dina, go ahead and give us our intro. All right. Tonight we welcome meteorologist Gabe Garfield, and he has both a bachelor's and a master's degree from the University of Oklahoma. Show off. I know. He is a storm chaser, awesome. a photographer, and he's witnessed dozens of tornadoes, including El Reno, Oklahoma. Uh, in 2011, and the more Oklahoma tornado back in 2013. He currently is a research meteorologist for the Cooperative Institute for Mesoscale Meteorological Studies and is a National Weather Service liaison to the hazardous weather testbed. Now, I had to look that up, Gabe. So can you tell me a little bit more about this um, hazardous weather testbed and what you guys do? Absolutely. Um, so the hazardous weather testbed um is, well, as the name suggests, it's a test bed. And the idea with test beds is to take new technologies that we think might help National Weather Service forecasters issue better tornado and severe thunderstorm warnings. We test those new technologies and methods in in an environment that's basically like a National Weather Service forecast office, except those warnings don't actually go out to real people. 
Uh, and because, and the reason we do that is because, frankly, we don't want to tweak anything <laughs> when there's live. <laughs> so we want to make Oops, sure we sense. do it right uh, before we actually start using new things. So okay. that's basically the idea. And so I help uh, take National Weather Service considerations into that office along with uh, severe weather researchers. I was concerned because you're in a hotel and you said test bed. And I'm like, oh, this show is going down real fast. (laughs) (laughs) I am trying to keep it straight for you here. (laughs) So are you from Oklahoma originally or where are you from? I am. I'm originally from Stillwater, Oklahoma. And that's actually where I grew grew to enjoy severe weather. And my first tornado experience was actually there in 1990 when a an F3 tornado went across the north side of town and uh, I was, you know, thrilled because nothing exciting happened in Stillwater. And uh, so I I figured this would be a good opportunity for me to learn some more about the, about severe weather. Uh, So I actually wrote a a local television meteorologist named Gary England. You may have heard of him Mm -hmm. and uh, wrote him a letter and said, Hey Gary, you're going to take your traveling weather show to Stillwater. He had this little variety show that included lots of tornado video. And this was in the days before YouTube. And so I said, oh, that'd be a great way to see tornado video. I don't have any access to that. So I asked him if he was coming. And he wrote me back three weeks later and said, uh, sorry, I'm not going to be able to come. But here's he gave me this book that he, uh, he wrote called Those Terrible Twisters in the Weather of Oklahoma. It was a about 120 oh, pages wow. long and had color photographs of tornadoes and dates and F scales and all that stuff. And I read that to shreds growing up. So it really inspired me, I guess you could say. Gabe, didn't you know that money talks? Gary got a little, uh, you know. You know, if I had had any, I would have made a talk. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Well, that's pretty awesome. I know Oklahoma, you know, no stranger to, you know, even um, F5s and EF5s. So you did, you saw the El Reno. Tell us about that one and also about the 99 uh, more Oklahoma. Did, did you see that one as well? Okay. Yeah, I didn't, the, uh, I didn't see the 99 one. That was um, actually one that I, I tried very hard to get my dad to take me storm chasing. I wasn't quite 16 yet. Um, and I begged him for, I think, a span of about two or three hours to take me chasing because of all the <laughs> oh weather that was gosh. going on. Yeah. And, but he was worried about the family, you know, trying yeah. to stay home. We lived, we lived in Norman, uh, still live there. And uh, so he didn't want to leave his post as the head of the household. So I did not get to see that tornado. Uh, and I was mad at him for at least a half a year. Uh, but uh, we've <laughs> resolved that since. And he uh, actually was my first storm chasing partner uh, back in 1990. Uh, actually, 1998 was the first time we went out. But uh, in 2000, we started going out regularly. And that was sort of a family affair. My brother came along. Um, but later on, we did see the El Reno tornado. Or my my family wasn't along for that one. But uh, saw well, I guess he have to define which El Reno tornado. There's there have been a few. I saw one in 2006 there, 2011 and 2013. And I think the most oh infamous ones, well, actually, I say ones because he had an F5 in 2011. And then, of course, the two and a half mile wide tornado in 2013. So El Reno has kind of become the new more. Target. <laughs> yeah. 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 But it's not as populated. So, right. I mean, yeah, it's not as populated out there. And that's really fortunate. Uh, mm-hmm. Uh, especially given the uh, the track of the the 2013 uh, storm was just south of town. Actually, in El Reno, they had uh, record-sized hailstones there. I think it was over six inches in diameter, but that was overshadowed Ooh. by this, you know, record-setting, you know, 2.6-mile-wide wedge tornado to the south. So nobody really, huh. you know, talked about wow. the hail bombs, but that actually quietly set the Oklahoma record for hail. Oh. Wow. 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 That's the size of a CD case, I think, isn't it? Six inches? Yeah. 
Yeah. Oh my god! Can you wow. imagine getting whacked on the head with that? Oh, it would I, kill I you. Can't imagine that. Yeah, you'd dead. be dead. I I can't imagine it. Yeah, I'd be dead. Yeah. Um, so, 130 miles per hour. <laughs> oh gosh. So Gabe, you so you were a part of uh, Vortex Two or involved in that. Do me two things. Number one, explain to our listeners that might not be familiar with what that project uh, was about uh, in layman's terms, and then kind of tell us a little bit about how you were involved, what you did. Okay. Yeah, it was a Vortex 2 uh, was a massive field project, and the name Vortex itself is an acronym, a clever acronym, I think, for Verification of the Origin of Rotation and Tornadoes Experiment. That's a mouthful, and it's the second version. Uh, there was another one in 1994-95, and the, the whole point of the experiment was to discover why uh, certain thunderstorms that rotate produce tornadoes and others do not. Um, it's widely known that uh, most major tornadoes uh, come out of what we call supercells or rotating thunderstorms, but not every supercell produces tornadoes. So the question is, okay, why do some form tornadoes and others do not? And so to answer that question, uh, a lot of researchers uh, have gone out uh, to collect data using lots of different instruments, including anemometers and hygrometers and thermometers and radars and all, you name it, weather balloons. And the whole point of that is to draw, take all that data in, uh, you know, uh, basically wind speed and direction, um, temperature and humidity, and then you can plug it into a numerical weather prediction model. And so that's basically like, uh, a computer program that that takes the Newton's equation, second equation of motion, and then tries to figure out something about what the atmosphere is actually doing. And you can actually look at the atmosphere in three dimensions uh, in space and one dimension, of course, with time. And you can figure out, I guess, all the processes that happen in the atmosphere to determine that answer. So basically, we're trying to model what the atmosphere was actually doing in the real world. And unlike the r- real world, where you only have points to actually show you what's happening where, you know, i.e. where the, uh, the actual sensors are with uh, the model, you can actually look at any point you want and kind of figure out exactly what the inner workings of that thunderstorm are. So ultimately the goal was to understand why tornadoes form in certain storms, but uh, as you, you know, spoiler alert, uh, we didn't figure it out. <laughs> so, yeah. We so what, sit here what, like, well, what did you find? What part were you involved in or, or what was your task? Oh, so my task, I was in the, well, uh, two different uh, groups. One was a scout vehicle for what they call a smart radar. So the, the radar was on, on basically mounted on a truck, and they drove it around, and it was more looking at the larger scale of the thunderstorm. We weren't getting really close and getting tornado data, essentially. But I was a scout vehicle for them, making sure that you know antennas and power lines and such weren't going to get in the way. Um, but then I actually, my more exciting job, this was the second job, which was uh, the navigator for probe four or mobile mesonet four, which was basically this soccer mom van out mm-hmm. outfitted with like anemometers, hygrometers, you know, you cool. name it, all the stuff, fancy stuff that, you know, people are kind of wondering what the X on your vehicle. Is it a UFO? You know, it's like, that was what we were, we were doing. <laughs> And uh, we took this thing uh, all across the plains and people are saying, well, are there going to be tornadoes? Well, uh, most of the time we were the you know, tornado suppressant project. So we actually you know, told them that basically if we show up, we're, you're probably likely not to see tornadoes. But anyway, my job was to go in the supercell, um, the core of the storm and do what we call east-west transects, which means <clears throat> drive to the east, drive to the west in the core of the storm and uh, hope that you don't 
have your windows. Oh, my gosh. Oh, it's not it's like easy bad. things. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so Gabe, so if there was no answer at the end of two, does that mean you're in the sequel, Vortex 3? Is that the deal? Uh, I, you know, I will let somebody else take that. <laughs> I'll let somebody else, else take the sequel. Uh, field projects like that are, you know, they're really fun and exciting, but uh, I tell you what, they're exhausting and uh, yeah. sometimes very frustrating. But I do think that there's always going to be a, you know, a, a good spate of a uh, good uh, group of grad students and others who will gladly go out there to chase tornadoes for free. And so I'll let, leave them. To <laughs> but there's actually. How a, long did that take? How long was the um, span that you did that? Okay. So uh, that was in two years in a row. So 2009 and 2010, those okay. uh, storm seasons. So we started, uh, I think the first date was uh, somewhere in early May in 2009. That went through mid-June and the same thing again for uh, 2010. Okay. Um, 2009 was a rough year. Uh, we didn't uh, see much until I think probably it was June 5th where we saw a very wow. uh, long-lived tornado in, in Wyoming of all places. Actually, oh, technically it was outside the domain of where we were supposed mm-hmm. to go. We drew some lines and said, oh, we're not going to go up into Wyoming. And then at some point you say, well, uh, we throw our boundaries out the window <laughs> because we're not seeing any storms. So yeah. we ended up seeing uh, some tornadoes there. But hmm. Yeah. Okay. So tell us so, a little bit about so your your role now, Gabe. You're involved in um, somehow technology or or trying to come up with new technology in warning system. Explain that a little yeah. bit and tell yeah. us what you guys are working on. That sounds kind of interesting. Absolutely. Okay. So the the best way to describe what's going on is that uh, right now is we have uh, uh, the current system of warnings. We have. Uh, what we call polygons that we issue. You guys see this all the time, you know, when you're, you know, uh, delineating a severe weather area, whether it be for hail or wind or for a tornado, you make a little box and they say everywhere within that box has the same risk of severe weather. And um, well, the problem is, is that not everyone in that box has the same risk. And so what ends up happening is that the, the, you know, warning lasts 30 or 45 minutes, the people at the, you know, the front side of the box where the storm first enters, uh, they're going to be out of, danger for, you know, 20, 30 minutes before that watch or sorry, before that warning expires. And so that's a lot of lost time and a lot of time for, you know, being afraid of the storm and wondering what's going to happen, even though they're, they're well outside the risk. Um, and so the future, what we're hoping to do, um, the, what we're, what we're going to try to do is uh, actually create what we call warning plumes. And instead of uh, the boxes, we're going to have little basically shapes and contours that will, if, for example, at the center of the storm, there'll be, of course, a 100% chance of mm-hmm. severe weather. And then mm-hmm. going out from that in the direction the storm is moving, mm-hmm. say 90% or 80%, all the way out to maybe 30% way down the uh, the line. And what that will do is allow people, first of all, who uh, for whom that storm is no longer uh, going to be a problem, they move from 100% to 0% when that storm moves, or say 2% when that uh, storm moves past them. And then in, you know down the, down the, uh, down the stream, Folks who are in the path of that storm can start seeing their their warning probability go up, um, and we're not sure if we're going to exactly give these probabilities directly to folks, but there will be opportunities for like uh, businesses to, you know, uh, weather businesses to take that information and and make personal risk profiles hmm. so that people can uh, you know have their own warning threshold. Say, I will only want to hear about hail if it's a thirty percent or more likely, or fifty percent or something like that, and so. That allows the the public to assume a, a little bit more responsibility if they want to for their own risks, or we may end up creating their uh, 
their own, basically these deterministic warnings that we always use, the legacy warnings, we will probably keep issuing those. So if people are, you know, not interested in doing their own thing, they say, just give me the answer. We can still do that. And so it's really giving people more options. And I think we'll ultimately save people a lot of time and money. And that's really ultimately what it's designed to do. And that program is called FACETS. Um, it's, uh, the acronym is FACETS. Another acronym. Here we go. <laughs> Lots of acronyms. In, Will there uh, be a quiz? In weather, as you know. But it's uh, forecasting a continuum of environmental threats. And uh, we have a, a prototype system that we're trying out in the hazardous weather testbed. And that was the big introduction to saying that we're actually looking at something that does this now uh, in the hazardous weather testbed. So uh, a guy named Chris Karstens at the National Severe Storms Laboratory has developed this nice web interface where you can actually create these plumes. And we've invited National Weather Service forecasters to come in to take a look at these plumes and tweak them in real time and kind of look at that uh, in terms of the workload. You know, how much how much uh, automation do we need or, you know, how much can the, the forecaster handle in various settings? So that's one thing we're looking at this year. And so that's probably, I would say, the highlight uh, of what we're doing because I think it will... Uh, represent a, a huge paradigm shift, I believe, for the entire country if it indeed becomes mm-hmm. instantiated. So I know we talked. Yeah, will you be bids. able to differentiate? Go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead. I was going to say I know we're back in the no, test bed area again, but how are you going to mainly communicate that? Uh, is that going to be through apps, or what's what's the main source of getting that out? Yeah, I'm not really sure how that we we still haven't really discovered or haven't figured out exactly how we're going to give that information out and push that out. I think there, my my hunch is that. There'll be some sort of central server, you know, kind of like the radar feeds that, you know, we use for the 88D. We'll push that out and then uh, various groups can pull that in and display that however they want to. So I think uh, we're not going to try to get too much into the the processing of that and what that individual uh, probability means for anyone. We're going to leave that to the, the private industry. But I think the idea is that you're creating opportunities uh, for private groups to really create a uh, some new business opportunities and obviously for, for individuals to assume their, their own risk, risk thresholds. So, uh, but I can imagine that we're going to still be doing what we'd call the legacy warnings, but they're not going to look like boxes anymore. I doubt we're going to be seeing the polygons anymore. Uh, the idea is called threats in motion or Tim, basically you take that, that area and then you kind of move it along with the storm. And there's actually some great videos. If you uh, look online for all this stuff, facets and, threats in motion. You can actually see some videos of this, how this would work for uh, an outbreak like April 27th, 2011, the super outbreak, uh, yeah. Tuscaloosa got hit that day. Uh, you can see how that would work as opposed to the the polygons or the boxes that we put around the storm. Where do you see that? Um, uh, as far as online? Yeah. If you're going like, to, I'd love to see it. Yeah. I, I don't have a link offhand, but if you, if you look oh, at it. Oh, sure. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I see how you are. <laughs> I, can, I can look at it up right now. Because uh, when do you think the public's going to start seeing this? Do you think, you know, when are we going to, a year or two years before this gets out to the public? Uh, that's a great question. I think we're probably looking at, I, I would say seven or eight years. Oh, uh, really? That long? Yeah. Well, there's going to be, a, I mean, with a huge paradigm shift like this, there's going to be a lot of things that we can't really anticipate. Um, right. One of the things is uh, how do people react to this new information, right? Now that they have, you know, a 20% or 30% chance and it's way past time, are they going to blow it off until it gets to a certain threshold? And are you going to yeah. have an entire, like El Reno in 2013, 
we had everybody leaving town at once, right, to to avoid this storm that's coming in. It just produced this gigantic tornado uh, just west of Oklahoma City, and it started moving east. And then um, people were getting, you know, uh, panicked about, you know, possibly dying in the path of a, another major yeah. tornado. And so they they said, I don't have a, an underground shelter, so I need to uh, I need to evacuate. And so that works, I guess, on an, obviously on a small scale with, wow. you know, a small town, but if you've got a city like Oklahoma City, it's you know more than five hundred thousand people, and a good chunk of them are leaving all at once. Then you've got traffic jams and people getting stuck in the path of tornadoes. And obviously, you know, a car is a horrible place to be <laughs> in a tornado. So I think a lot of that stuff we really need to to figure out first. And so it's kind of like that do no harm kind of idea. We want to make sure that we dot our eyes and cross our t's on this. But there's a very strong push for this, and I, I think it could come sooner rather than later. Because I'm wondering how we're going to decide how this industry is going to decide how we display these warnings, because you can get really highly technical for METs and say, you know, probability 90 percent or something, something. or for public, you can get do low, medium, high. But then do they blow it off if it's not high? And and do other companies display it differently and confuse the public? Exactly. And and that's. That's really where I think a lot of the work needs to be done. I mean, it's a great idea in theory, but again, as uh, El Reno event in 2013 proved that not it's not necessarily a good thing to have all this new information. And I think we're going to have to right. be very careful about who we let have this information. And I'm not even sure this is going to be a general uh, public product even. Uh, oh, there's okay. there's some idea of possibly uh, keeping that in or at least, you know, and, and it's hard because we, obviously with the government, you want to give as much information, freedom of information, that sort of thing. But at the same point, you know, we do have government secrets, right? Some things that, you know, honestly, we know will harm uh, the public if we let out. So I think that's going to be definitely a thing going forward from a philosophical standpoint is, you know, who gets what. And certainly like uh, stadiums and hospitals and other large uh, venues, I think they'll really benefit from stuff like this. Who gets what? I just want the link. Yeah. I just want the link. What about a company like WSI who's now with IBM with us? Um, I used to work for them. So they take a lot of data and package it um, to um, TV stations and other um, government, even other government um, um, places. But would they could maybe take that and package it however they want. So that's where I'm wondering how it's going to end up. It'll be interesting to see. It, it, it really will be. I mean, it's, it's, it's completely, I think, beyond what anything we've, we've done before. And I, I think it's going to pre- present a lot of challenges. And I think that's something well known in the National Weather Service. And we haven't done particularly well anyway, uh, is uh, just the idea of, uh, of communication. We're starting to come to a, an understanding that we need to uh, really figure out how to communicate to the public because we're a bunch of weather nerds who, mm-hmm. you know, we know what we're talking about, but no, no one else does. Right. And I mean, uh, great example is uh, the high risk yesterday or was it yesterday? I think it, yeah, was. it was yesterday. Yeah. Yesterday where, you know, you've got uh, uh, a high risk for severe weather. And I think the parameters favored the possibility of a uh, tornado outbreak, but does that mean that, the that there's no uncertainty with a high risk like that or does that mean that simply that there's a high risk that if things go just perfectly things are going to go crazy i mean it's it's a question of what what are we communicating and so i think that is a challenge already and i think when you add on top of that at this layer of and all these degrees of freedom it's going to present a lot of challenges 
Well, now, on that Kate, note, um, I'm, I'm going to, sorry, Kim, you a okay. quick question. Go ahead. If you got a quick question for him. Um, just, are you going to be able to differentiate between the types of, you know, um, the severe parameters, like a tw- a not 20% chance of a tornado or decreasing yeah. or increasing, and then also hail, and that will all be individualized like that. Yeah, that's a great question. Yeah, wow. actually, that's that's the idea. So hail, wind, tornadoes, the whole ball of wax there. We're going to try to give individual, uh, you know, probabilities for that. So it's going to be wow. uh, really fascinating going forward to see how that works. And I'm, it's uh, there's all, already some work being done on, uh, you know, providing those kind of probabilities. There's actually a uh, new type of algorithm. Um, what is it called? Probability of severe. Probability of severe is what it's called. Developed by some uh, people up in Wisconsin, and it takes all this different information, like uh, radar signatures from you know all these years past, combined with satellite, combined with environment, and it actually statistically assigns a probability of severe hail. And so it'll be like you know, 50%, 70%, or 90%. And I actually have been using this in the hazardous weather test bed to identify which storms are most severe. And actually, I think it has great potential, especially for broadcasters uh, who probably on a moment's notice are not going to be able to spend that much time analyzing the storm on air, but are going to need some you know, kind of quick fix to know which storms are most severe, which storms they need to kind of pay attention to, especially when there are a lot of different storms going on at once. So it's 930. Uh, what time is test bed? it is time for our lightning round uh, which is our our round of fun questions for our guest gabe so you get to be uh our participant this evening uh, i i cheated a little bit told you ahead of time what it might be about but i understand you just recently had your first skiing experience is that correct i did and, and where was that at that was in, sorry, that was in Utah, uh, near Park City. Um, gosh, I can't even remember the name of the place. Somewhere near Park City. That's the main. That's the main area. <laughs> that that's awesome. not to, your first skiing experience. Was actually on a mountain. That's that's pretty. Out west is great. It yeah. is. It was beautiful. Um, beautiful. Uh, especially when wow. the snow is like right there when you fall in, you know, it's just like. Right. <laughs> All right. So here, so right. here's what we're gonna do. The the game we're playing tonight, Gabe. Uh, is we're, we're going to call it Match the Skier. Okay. I, I don't have any other better name for it. I, I had to come <laughs> up with this. My creative juices weren't flowing as well as normal probably. But So here's what I did. I jumped on skiingmag.com and ranker.com, and I looked up the 10 most influential skiers of all time and famous alpine skiers. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to start rattling off uh, accolades or successes of a skier I'm going to give you two options, and you got to tell me which skier those belong to. Oh, so I, I, and I, I, I tried to make this wow, as this easy sounds as hard. Yeah. I know. Okay, He's only so, been skiing once. Yeah, I know. <laughs> well, that's why I'm going to try and make it easy. Okay, I'm going to try and make it easy. All right. So here, here are the first two skiers. I'm, you got to tell me which one of these two skiers I'm talking about. We have Bodie Miller, and we have Johnny Mosley. Okay, so this belongs to one of these skiers. Uh, they ski in the freestyle moguls. This individual was a host in 2003 on Saturday Night Live. And they also performed the quote-unquote dinner roll at the 2002 Olympics, and it was ruled illegal. Is that <laughs> Bodie Miller or Johnny Mosley? I've never heard of Johnny Mosley, so I'm going to go with Bodie Miller. <laughs> oh. And, oh, no. That would be... That that would be Johnny Mosley. So I'm going to give you a second chance. 
Okay. Uh, it's so here's the next two skiers, either okay. Bodie Miller or Alberto <laughs> Tomba. Bodie Miller or Alberto Tomba. Okay. Uh, this is going to be too easy, uh, but I'll do it anyway. All right. <laughs> I don't know if it's going to be too easy to me. Five Olympic gold medals. Okay. okay. Speed in the 80s and 90s is Italian. And his, <laughs> his nickname was from well, a well-known song made famous by Richie Valens and Los Lobos. Would that be Alberto Tomba or Bodie Miller? Tomba, or whatever his name is, the first one. <laughs> Very good. Yeah, he was known as La Bamba. La Bamba. Pronounced Bode. Bode is Italian. Bode. Bode it's Bode. Okay. Bode. No. No, Bode I'm Miller. kidding. Right. I'm okay. kidding. I'm so, kidding. Ne- all right, next group. Now, now we're on the women. We're going to the women. Um, this is either Tiger Woods Julia girlfriend. Mancuso or Susie Chapstick. Julia Mancuso or Susie Chapstick. Um, blonde hair. Famous for wearing her leotard in the 1970s and is even more famous for her lip balm commercials. Julia Mancuso or Susie Chapstick? Is Susie Chapstick a real person? She is a real person. She's a real skier. No kidding. Yeah, so who's well, your guess? I mean, this it sounds like a trick question, but I mean, you have to go with the obvious Chapstick. That. Oh, no, oh, sorry, 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 that was correct. I know, oh, 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 what? User this thing is so, yeah. rigged. So that, it, it was Susie Chapstick, that was your Bunny Hill question. Okay. okay. Isn't it Susie Chaffee? All... No, I think Susie... it's Susie. Yeah, I think it's Chaffee. Oh, is it it's really? It's Chaffee, yeah, she, she was, was named Susie Chapstick. For the yeah, Chapstick correct. commercial, right. Yeah, you well, pay me a million dollars, I'll call myself Mark Chapstick, all right? Hey, you, hey, <laughs> You got to talk to skiingmag.com. That's how they listed her. So I just went with uh, how they listed her. But yeah, you are right. That was not her official last name. But that's who she was known as. So that's fair enough. All right. So here we go. Uh, So you got that one right. Good job. So now we got Julia Mancuso or Lindsey Vaughn. Which which one of these? Uh, Olympic gold in 2006, two silvers in 2010, and a bronze in 2014. She, she has the most Olympic medals for an American female alpine skier. And she also wore a tiara over her helmet during several slalom races. <laughs> Lindsey Vaughn or Julia Mancuso? It's got to be Lindsey Vaughn. Right? Oh! What? That, that is. Really? I was trying to help, too. I thought it Really? Was I have no idea. I, I haven't paid attention since, like, whatever 1994 so <laughs> yeah most skiers if you're not in the olympics i've probably never heard of you no offense but i it's just I, it's, it's one of I those sports like gymnastics and figure skating that you know you totally different every four years you, you pay attention to it and uh outside of that doesn't get a lot of publicity not my fault I think- that's right all right anyway uh, gabe great job i uh, appreciate you having, <laughs> having some fun with us um if you guys if you guys heard of weatherproshop.com you guys heard of that yeah, yeah yes. i hope yes. so yeah. absolutely so so they've got uh high quality shirts and hats uh they, especially if you're a spotter chaser you got to check this out one of their hats is really cool if you see this if you're watching you can see it uh it's a white storm chaser hat and these that's are cool. the the really sweet uh, flex fitted so mm. you, you get like a size small medium large extra large whatever but then it, it really fits really well with your head but anyway here's what i found out so this is white and there's a reason why they made the hat the storm chaser hat white and gabe you might know this 
is because when you're out storm chasing, you probably are getting wind and dirt and all kinds of stuff blown at you at multiple times during your chasing experience. And they made it white because they want to give it an opportunity to, for you to customize it right with your own storm chasing experience so it gets its own dirt and its own grass stains and whatever else on it right so it gets weathered and and you create your own but anyway that's really cool they'll also customize your spotter and chaser team clothing so if if you have your own organization uh, or you've got a logo they'll really help you out with that they'll create your own stuff for you they also have these laminated reference materials for spotters and chasers so these are laminated so they can get wet do you get wet gabe when you're out chasing sometimes i always stay in the car a few times okay (laughs) so you wouldn't know right no anyway so they're laminated so he's got uh reference materials on how to read radar and tornado debris signatures this one's a cool one that i we actually tweeted out because there's a picture of it it's a hail size guide quick reference guide cool so you can actually measure the size of the hail so when you report it to the National Weather Service, you're reporting something real instead that's, of just saying. You mean you're not going to bring a teacup? It's the size yeah. of a marble, right, or something like they that. They do have teacup size hail. Yeah, they, yeah. they do. They do. And, they do. And then you'll hold it with one pinky in the air, though. The know. other cool thing is their National Weather Service uh, WFO Quick Reference Directory. So they have uh, the east side of the U.S., the west side of the U.S. Uh, he's designated out all with counties of all the states. So you know exactly what National Weather Service, weather field office you're in with all the phone numbers. So again, oh, if you're nice. a spotter or chaser, yeah, especially if you're a chaser, That's right? If you're a spotter, they probably know you know where you're at. But if you're a chaser and you're in a different area, uh, the phone numbers are right here. So you can contact the National Weather Service and report that. So all of that, you guys just go to weatherproshop.com. Some great reference materials for you there. So we're going to take Gabe. a quick... Wait, wait, Gabe, it's yeah. a well-known fact that as you get another degree from bachelor's to master's to PhD, you're going to need the head, the, the hat that expands. I'm just saying. <laughs> yep. so you're going to get one of those. Okay? Flex. So that's right. Flex hat. Yeah. And by right, the way, so the we're most... going to take a quick break. Oh, no, we're not. Go ahead. <laughs> I was just saying, not by yet. the way, the most noble way to lose that white hat is in the envelope to a wedge tornado. Perfect. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> and, and you know what? That would be cool because it's it's like leaving a weather balloon for somebody else to find, right? It's thoughtful. thoughtful. <laughs> All right. So now, I think now we're going to take our quick break. Sure. Uh, our podcast listeners are going to hear the latest edition of Titans U Minute with Chris Sanner on finding your storm target area. And our raw viewers, you're not going to be able to hear that. So you got to download the audio show, the audio podcast this weekend to be able to catch it. Uh, but don't leave. We're going to be right back with Gabe and the team. And we're going to find out what can be done and what should be done for better storm chaser safety. Go we'll right there. All right. And now it's time for the Titan U Minute with Chris Sanner. The topic on weather Twitter this week has been all about the Storm Prediction Center risk and their risk categories. By the way, if you aren't on weather Twitter, you should totally give it a try or not. Really, I mean, it it just doesn't matter. When it comes to the Storm Prediction Center, someone interested in storm chasing should repeat after me. There's no place like my target. There's no place like my target. The SPC doesn't issue forecasts for storm chasing. In fact, a good storm chase can happen in any SPC risk category, including no risk. Taking time each morning and starting your forecasting routine with observational data 
then models, and then rounding it all out with your own dash of gut instinct will lead you to what we in the biz call your very own target area. The advantages of your very own target area are immense, but we really we don't need to get into that pretty obvious spill. What I'd like to instead introduce this time is that your forecast is always going to be the best possible forecast for storm chasing. Well, well, you know, most of the time, unless it's the wrong forecast. But that's another story. You could drive to the middle of an SPC risk area, but they're sometimes huge and not located in the most ideal location for chasing. And what about secondary and tertiary targets? Those aren't labeled in an SPC outlook. Furthermore, sometimes the target is simply self-explanatory. In that case, an SPC outlook for two states is for a general risk when the most likely area for tornadoes that you can chase may actually be two counties. So, do your own forecast. They're the best ones you'll have, after all. For more information on how a storm chase target is developed or how to stay prepared this storm season, visit TitanU at TornadoTitans.com. Also, follow us on social media. Simply search Tornado Titans. We'll see you next time. All right, welcome back. You know, it's unfortunate that that we don't get our video breaks onto our audio podcast sometimes because those of you at least watching us, sometimes you catch some primo material. (laughs) Some of us us need meds, let's just say. Right. So anyway, hey, Gabe, I forgot to ask you about how our listeners and viewers can follow you on social media or learn more about what you're doing. Um, yeah, uh, you can follow me on Twitter at WXGabe, that's W-X-G-A-B-E, or you can find me on Facebook. I, I usually friend everyone, so <laughs> if you wanted, I don't put anything too personal on there, but if you want a fancy being my friend, I'd like to be yours. Aww. Aww. <laughs> Ask him about the test bed, okay? Just saying. <laughs> That's right. All right, get over the test bed, man. All right. Uh, I want to go ahead and set up our discussion topic tonight. As, as many of you may know, we've recently lost three members of the storm chasing community during storms in Texas from the result of an accident when their two vehicles collided. The SUV with Kelly Williamson and Randy Arnall Missed a stop sign. They collided with another SUV driven by Corbin Jager. And, you know, that's brought up, and and this always does, every time there's an accident, every time there's something tragic, it always brings up the whole safety and storm chasing. Should should people even be doing it? And they're crazy and stupid. All that mantra that that comes up. And I just, it does surprise me, and I mentioned this during our break, that, that distracted driving which is an issue every single day when you drive to work mm-hmm. and that moron mm-hmm. next to you is texting. You know, I should be careful because sometimes I've, I have been guilty of uh, checking my mess, not texting, but checking my messages. Right. And, but so I'm, I, I'm probably that moron as well. Right. But that that's texting, you know, and is swerving all over the place. I saw recently at the same time, someone killed and this happened just, A few days ago, there was a bus, and I forget what state it was, but there was a bus of uh, elderly individuals coming or going from someplace that was hit, killed uh, from a head-on collision, and they showed a a video and a 911 call of the driver that was behind this 
young person that was driving all over the road and, and he was calling 911 and texting and, and, and calling it in that, hey, this person's all over the road, something needs to be done. And when the sheriff uh, came to the scene, this young person right away said, you know, I'm sorry, I was texting, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry. Mm-hmm. You know, so this distracted driving happens all the time. And I am surprised that this doesn't happen more often during the storm chasing season, because to me, this is more, way more likely to happen than we got hit by a tornado, uh, like in El Reno, and we lost some people there actually hit by the tornado. Yeah. So safety. I, Obviously, I, the I point think. is, do we need mm-hmm. to do something? Should something be done, and what should be done? Mm-hmm. That's a tough one. Well, I think it's always going to be an issue. I mean, just whether you're a meteorologist or not, when there's mm-hmm. weather going on, I mean, the sky is cool, and it is distracting in itself. So there's always going to be situations where it's just going to happen. It's extremely unfortunate. But what, I don't what know if, if that can be done. What, what about all the stuff in these vehicles now? G- Gabe, you've probably seen this and know this, right? There's, there's like cameras now mounted all over the place on some of these storm chasers and laptops mounted. And there's just all this stuff and there's radar in their face. You know, there's people that we've even listened to and talked to that storm chase solo. Mm-hmm. And so now they're trying to do all that stuff themselves. Right. They don't even have a partner. What yeah. about that? Well, I think that's probably the biggest danger right there. I think you hit on it. Um, think about what happened with uh, Corbin and Randy and Kelly, you know, last week. What happened was you had two guys who, I guess, the reports were that they often did not have regard for the law in terms of stop signs, and they often went through. And then you had a guy who was chasing by himself. And I think really that second part is much more important than the first because I always go chasing with people. And I don't know how many times I've been chasing where somebody says, Hey man, look out for this, whatever, you know, whether it be a deer or somebody else coming. And then when you don't have other people with you, you don't have that, that line of defense uh, of th- for things that you can't really see. And I think in the case of Corbin, unfortunately, he probably would have easily avoided that if he had someone chasing with him. And I think, I think that's probably why you don't see that many accidents with storm chasers, because usually storm chasers, there are probably at least two people in the car at one, one time, if not more, because of uh, trying to share expenses. So well, I think it highlights yeah. the danger of chasing alone. You've got Kelly and Randy though, were together. Right. And, and they didn't miss the stop sign. So, right. You know, but that a, was that was willful. That issue too. I mean, that's that's willful. I mean, yeah. in that case, an accident really takes two, right? In, in that particular circumstance. Um, granted, I think with their <clears throat> with their type of behavior, it seemed almost bound to happen. I mean, I can't imagine. Uh, I mean, I'll be honest. I've been with groups of storm chasers that we've blown through stop signs, but it's usually in a situation where there's mud and we're going like ten miles per hour, and if we stop, we're stuck. You know, it's not like we're mm-hmm. trying to, you know, blow through stop signs uh, or there, you know, you look both ways or whatever. Um, honestly, after this, I don't know that I'm going to really want to be with people who do that because it, it, it really does call into question, I think, uh, you know, this sort of willful uh, dis- disobedience uh, for traffic laws and that sort of thing. And uh, but I think in this case, uh, I think that situation uh, obviously was uh, provoked by originally by the, the people who were breaking the law. But in, in the case of Corbin, unfortunately, I think being by himself was a tremendous disadvantage. And I, I've, I've been in that situation before by myself. I've chased by myself 
and I accidentally put myself basically under a rotating wall cloud and a tornado touched oh down gosh. like, you know, like a half mile east of me. And it was like, oh, that's I did not see that. But if I had been with uh, some others, it uh, would have been better. So I, I think that's kind of the, the bigger thing to be gained from this other than the obvious, which is don't, you know, drive distracted. And I think, honestly, that's been something that I've been in, in the habit of doing that I d- didn't think was a big deal. And then I realized oh my goodness, you know, you think you're a lot more cognizant of what's going around you and you're just not. I mean, today I was actually driving uh, to, you know, to Memphis and I looked over uh, in the lane next to me and there was a a lady who was texting and driving and tailgating someone, you know, probably 15 or 20 feet away from her, uh, the next vehicle in front of her, uh, you know, going 60 or 70 miles an hour. And I'm just flabbergasted that people do this, but that's, I think, a growing problem, not just within storm chasing, as you mentioned. What what about getting? What do you guys think about this? Um, what what about you know how there's spotter training, storm spotter training, right? And and go through the training class, and you you know you can declare I'm I'm a storm spotter, whatever. What if you had some kind of a storm chaser safety training? You know we've talked about in the past. We've talked about well maybe there should be a license, and and it becomes a legal issue. And you could get pulled over if you're actually out chasing. And you don't have a lot. <clears throat> and we've talked that, you know, it's probably not realistic that that could be enforced. But what about having a safe chaser safety class where you cover all the safety and all this stuff? And, and it's voluntary, but it just gives you the right to say, hey, I'm a trained storm safety storm chaser or something like that. And it just gives the people an opportunity to be proud that I went through this class to cover safety and that's something that I feel strongly about. Would that help? I couldn't hurt. Yeah, I think it's always hurt. a good idea. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. The, yeah. You know, the more mm-hmm. the more times you can get things forefront in your mind, I think the the better. You know, mm-hmm. and, and I don't know the exact situation. I mean, I've been driving places before, and there's a stop sign that's kind of behind a bush or a tree. So I, you know, I mean, there's always right. going to be something that happens that's kind of out of your mm-hmm. control. But absolutely, yeah. I think any kind of a class or just something to kind of keep it, you know what, hey, we're out today. Let's be extra careful because of whatever situation. Yeah. Well, it's, you can, you know, if you can get somebody behind it that has some kind of a clout, right, mm-hmm. to to sort of be behind the certification, that's perhaps something that spotters could use, especially those that will take people on, you know, on trips to see, you know, spotting, uh, what do we call it? We had a name for that at one time, but anyway, the, um, uh, gives them, uh, something they can put, you know, on a website, on their materials Mm -hmm. or whatever that says, I am a, you know, certified safe spotter or something like that. What what are the meteorologists? What are those different designations through AMS and NWA? I think Mm -hmm. they have certifications too, correct? What are those? Yes. And what do you have to do to get them? Well, you have to apply and then you have to have so many hours of, you know, whether, you know, your college or whatever, you have to have a degree for AMS from certain colleges that they think aren't worthy of it. Then you have to submit tapes um, and they look at the tapes. Um, Then they have a a group of people who actually look at them and decide whether or not you pass their qualifications. Plus you take a written test as well. Which one is this for? Um, I think I believe it's for both for NWA okay. and AMS. AMS is more, um, it's more difficult to get an AMS seal than it is an NWA seal. Sounds kind of political if they're also looking mm-hmm. at what school you went to. Yeah. Yeah, it is. And, well, they do be, they do that because they, 
AMS, you know, is definitely more um, academia-based um, group of people that belong to the AMS. And they're, you know, they, they require you to have gone to a school that, you know, you take a lot of math, you take, you know, you just, it's more than like your Mississippi State degree. Mm-hmm. So that's where they yeah. differentiate between the two. So Gabe, I have a question for you. Since you storm chase, what do you think is a safe number of people to storm chase? Because I talked to like even some of our Weather Channel people. They had, you know, you need the driver who's only driving. Maybe you need somebody who's like doing the talking and and doing stuff like that if you're recording it or uh, uh, shooting video. You need somebody just looking at radar. Maybe somebody doing like I know we've had people just doing social media. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Navigating. So like okay. you can have five people in the car at that point. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think, uh, in my opinion, a bare minimum of three, I think three is okay. good. Uh, two is sufficient. Three is, is, is good. Anything above that is, is, is gravy. I think that with three people, you have obviously a driver who can focus on driving. You have a navigator in the front seat along with the driver who can, you know, give, the directions and obviously do the meteorology aspect of it. And then in the backseat, maybe somebody who can do the filming or look out for, you know, other circulations or driving hazards or things like that. So, because if you're doing navigating, it's really hard to keep your eye on everything around you, or if you're Mm -hmm. driving, you obviously want to keep your eye on the road. So I really think that three is, is the magic number for me. Uh, I I have no people who have done it all. I don't think you can do it very well. I mean, studies have shown that people don't multitask. They really don't. They think they can, Mm -hmm. they don't, but they actually don't. Well, especially, yeah, Yeah. especially as you get into places you just don't know. I mean, remember, Mm -hmm. remember in the old movie Twister, you know, you're like, what is this road? This is like Bob's road. You know, somebody (laughs) had to be telling you where to turn. Yeah, Yeah, right. right. Absolutely. And so I, I think that honestly, I've been in a few situations where, you know, I've, I've been doing all the things, uh, you know, driving, looking at radar and doing all that stuff, filming and out the window. And I would, you know, honestly be horrified to see what my vehicle was doing in those moments, you know, cause you see these people and you're weaving and I'm sure I was, and I just had no idea. Now, of course there's, there's a difference between doing that in traffic and doing it on some two lane road in the middle of nowhere. But even still, I think if you get in the habit of doing that, I mean, studies have shown about habits is that, you know, at a certain point, you just do them without even thinking. That's really the point of habits is mm-hmm. that you can do it when your brain literally shuts off. And so what I found with texting and driving is that, you know, as I've been trying after this you know horrible tragedy, I've been trying to break myself of that habit. And I realized it's just something that you do without, oh, my goodness, I'm looking at my phone. How did I do that? And so um, if you're doing that without yeah. being mindful, that means that the circumstance uh, that you do that can be safe at one point or relatively safe, i.e. a two lane road in the middle of nowhere, or it could be amongst a whole bunch of people where you could be adding, you know, another degree of danger. So I, I think that it really is to me imperative now that storm chasers realize that they can't do it all. And I think yeah. if you think, if you think about any hobby out there, it's really an unusual number of storm chasers I mean, not unusual. I mean, compared to like mountain climbing or something have died. But like, even, even if you think about uh, traffic accidents, plus the obviously tornadoes, we've lost probably somewhere around 11 people, I think, in the last, you know, 
uh, I would say uh, 10 or 15 years. And given that the community is maybe no bigger than, you know, 5,000 or 10,000, it's actually a significant number have died of unnatural causes. So I think as time goes on, with, it's going to be more important. And, and with that, I'll bring this, I'll bring this up is because I mentioned this over Twitter as people were talking about, you know, deaths and storm chasing and it, storm chasing is this crazy thing people shouldn't be doing. And, right. and we talked about skiing, right? My example was, you know, someone that decides to, Hey, it's my first time skiing, but I'm going to hit the black diamond slope over here. Right. There's nothing yeah. that can prevent that person from doing it. Right. They're, they're going to do it anyways. You can put up all the warnings and everything mm-hmm. else, but if they still do it and, and they could die and people have died skiing, does that make skiing a bad hobby or a stupid hobby or those people that go skiing and put their life in danger going down the black slopes, they're dangerous and they shouldn't do it. To, to me, it's very similar in regards to doing that. Yeah. But I, I, let me share this with you guys as we kind of finish up here as we're getting to the top of the hour. There is, and Gabe, I saw you retweet this. There was a, uh, so putting you on the spot here a little bit, there was a storm chasing group, and I'm not going to use their name, mm-hmm. that published on Twitter recently a storm chaser leaderboard <laughs> that showed how, took all the, all the people in their storm chasing group, how many hours they were in a tornado warned area, how many hours they were in a thunderstorm, severe thunderstorm warned area. And obviously the goal is to be on top and to be in those severe areas longer than everybody else. Now, truth I think it's, it was fun, kind of a fun, neat thing to do and if you're a group and everything else. But here's the other truth. The public's perception of storm chasing mm-hmm. typically is, and especially when you deal with these recent accidents, is, again, stupid, crazy, I shouldn't be doing it, they're whatever. To me, that is cool, but that's not something I would put out publicly. Oh, sure. Okay? But we're trying to talk safety. Does that promote safety? Well, I don't think that it was done for anything other than a joke. I mean, the only way that you can actually stay in a tornado warning that long is if you don't have a 40-hour wor- uh, work week. You know, I'm not going <laughs> to you know, three hours, you know, every few weeks or something like that. So I, I think it was done as a joke. Um, but, you know, as far as that goes, I mean, certainly there are going to be people out there that are a little bit more hardcore. And if they like to think of being in a tornado warning is, you know, I, I don't know. I think I know the guy who did it. His name's David Goines. And he's he's got a kind of a quirky sense of humor, and the fact that he spent that much time actually putting that together is kind of <laughs> tells you a lot about him. Wow. <laughs> All right, well, any of you guys have any last parting comments on that? I was just going to say, as you put more people on the ski slope, you're bound to the probability of accidents happening out there That's is going to go up. It's just the way it is. You know? Right. And one yeah. more thing, you know, which which you know, whoever's driving you're talking about a meteorologist, how difficult is that? No matter what distractions you take away from them, they're not going to want to look at that EF five that's to their, you know, to their left. It's like, how are you going to keep somebody from not wanting to look at the weather happening around them? I mean, we have no control over that. So I think it's going to be difficult no matter what. Well, tell, tell us what you think. Uh, You can comment by email at questions at stormfrontfreaks.com. We'll try and share some of those on our next show. So we know it's storm season. Uh, you might be out there right now. You've got your your nice little uh, telephone, <laughs> telephone, your cell phone, <laughs> and, <laughs> iPhone, cord. Android, whatever it is. Rotary. <laughs> <laughs> and you catch an awesome video of some a great storm, or maybe there's a tornado that went 
somewhere off in the distance and you were able to catch some video footage. Here's the thing. What do you do with it? The point is don't give it away. Okay. Uh, and if you get on and you post it on Twitter and Facebook, Gabe, how many times have you gotten ABC news asking you, Hey, can we use your footage and give you credit, you know, for free, right? Here's the key. You say no to that. And what you do is you Except contact. Except if it's me. I would certainly Dina. give it to Dina, but that Here, otherwise. Here's what you do, right? You, you get a hold of uh, <laughs> one of our partners, severestudios.com. We had uh, Corey Hartman on last episode. They're going to be able to help you sell it. Uh, they also have chasers. If you're one of the storm chasers and you want to actually try and live stream some of your footage, you need to check out severestreaming.com, a, a part of Severe Studios. They've got over a thousand storm chasers that have signed up with them to broadcast severe weather live in the field. So that might be something you might be interested in, in as well. They were the first to offer pro streaming accounts. So they've been the experts in the field now for, for a long time. So if you have video that you want to try and sell, uh, get a hold of uh, severestudios.com. And if you actually are a storm chaser and you want to try and get involved in some live feeds, uh, look up severestreaming.com. Uh, they'll get you all the information you need. So we're going to go ahead and take our final break so listeners can hear Brady's Storm School. The rest of you watching can go ahead and refill your drinks. When we come back, it's time for Weather Fools and WX Resources. This is Storm School, where together we'll take an in-depth look into certain weather phenomenon, why they happen, where they happen, what causes them. Some topics we'll cover will things you might have never heard before or things you've heard a lot. Welcome to Storm School. Class is in session. Hello once again, guys. Welcome to Storm School. I'm Brady, and on this week's episode of Storm School, we're going to be talking about the Storm Prediction Center, or SPC, and some of the products they have, as well as what they mean. So I know a lot of you, you know, we're getting into that time of year. We're getting into March, May, April, um, even into June, where severe weather does occur. So now the Storm Prediction Center has been putting out their pro I mean, they put them out every day, but people have been paying much more attention to them. And, you know, I've had a, a couple people ask me questions on exactly what they mean. So there's five different types of categories. There's the... Thunderstorm category, which is their basically um, lowest category of thunderstorm. It just it's a light green color. Um, it's the lightest green color on the map. The next category is the marginal category. That's a darker green. Um, and then the next category is the slight category. It's a yellow. Um, the third category is enhanced, um, which is orange. The fourth category is moderate risk of severe storms. And the last category, which is pretty rare is a magenta color it's it's a um kind of a bright um purpley pink um sort of color um so let's start with the thunderstorm category so this basically means you know you're generally going to have non-severe thunderstorms that pop up usually in the afternoon or evening um winds will generally stay below 58 miles an hour um you may see lightning you may not see lightning usually when there's a just a thunderstorm outlook it's going to be your average run of the mill thunderstorms in your area and then the next category is the marginal category now <clears throat> basically the marginal category means that 
you're going to have a couple of possibly severe thunderstorms. You probably won't, you know, you could have an isolated tornado, but that probably isn't going to be the main threat. Um, straight line winds and some heavy rain and lightning um, is probably going to be the main threat. But by no circumstance are the thunderstorms going to be widespread or the severe thunderstorms going to be widespread. There's probably not going to be an outbreak. And, you, you know, more likely than not, you're not actually going to see any severe thunderstorms where you live. Now, the next category is the slight category. It's um, designated by a yellow um, area on the Storm Prediction Center map, which you can pull up on their website, um, which I'll probably show you on the podcast. Um, but this basically means that there's probably going to be an area um, that gets organized severe thunderstorms. And there could be a couple isolated tornadoes. Um, but the coverage probably isn't going to be widespread, meaning, you know, if the, say the state of Ohio was all within the slight risk, you're not going to see widespread severe thunderstorms all over the state. You'll have pockets here or there of strong winds, you know, heavy downpours, lightning, even maybe a couple of tornadoes, but they're not going to be widespread. You know, these categories necessarily have to do with the coverage, not necessarily the severity. So even with a slight risk, you can get you know, a strong tornado or two. Um, having said that, the next step up, uh, the next category is the enhanced risk designated by an orange color on the Storm Prediction Center map. If you're in the enhanced risk, you're definitely going to have a pretty volatile day in your area. Um, you know, you're going you're gonna to have basically, um, it's in between the slight and the moderate risks, so you're going to have more widespread coverage over the state, say, you know, a quarter to a half of the state is is probably going to see some sort of severe thunderstorm. Once again, tornado, um, hail, you know, heavy wind um, and heavy rain and lightning are all possibilities and, you know, more possible than a slight risk. If you're in the enhanced risk, it's a good chance you're going to see some sort of activity that day. The next step up is a moderate risk. This is pretty rare. You know, you don't see this a whole off. Uh, um, a lot. When you do see it, you definitely need to heed whatever the meteorologist. You always need to listen to the meteorologist, but especially if you're in a moderate or high risk, um, which right now we're focusing on the moderate risk. There's going to be an area of widespread severe thunderstorms. Once again, hail, tornadoes are all a possibility. If not, you know, definitely more probable than you would think. Um, there, there could be an intense squall line, but if you're in a moderate risk, definitely pay attention. There's going to be a widespread severe weather outbreak um, that's going to be possible and then if you're in the high risk it basically what meteorologists are trying to say is hey there's going to be some really bad weather today and it's going to be widespread and we're fairly certain this is going to happen and there's most likely going to be some very strong tornadoes very strong violent tornadoes that you'll want to take shelter in Um, so you'll definitely want to pay attention on a high risk that's that's basically designated by a magenta cover color sorry and it's going to be a very, very, very active day. Now, this SPC puts out Alex day one through three. That's when they'll have all five of those categories. Beyond day three, day four through eight, they put out severe weather outlooks. But they mainly stick to 15 and 30% um, areas. Every now and then, they'll up you know, the percentage. But for the most part, beyond three days, they can't be extremely confident in the severe areas, um, you know, area of severe weather that's going to occur. When they are, those are scenarios that usually will be designated by a 30%, you know, slightly orange, not necessarily any of those five categories, but slightly orange or red area that um, they'll designate on their map. You'll definitely want to pay attention to those if, 
if they can see a severe weather outbreak coming more than three days down the road, that most likely means it's going to be trouble. Um, so those are the five categories plus the four through eight uh, severe weather out- outlooks uh, provided by the SPC. The SPC is a governmental organization, and they do fantastic work. And, um, you know, they're, they're used as kind of the standard in the industry that if when they put out an outlook, it's not necessarily always accurate, but most of the time it's a pretty good indication of what the day is going to look like. All right, folks, it's contest time and up for grabs this episode, an Accurite portable anemometer. For details about this fine device from Accurite, visit our website at stormfrontfreaks.com. To enter our drawing to win, go to our Twitter page, at stormfrontfreak, and find our contest tweet. Retweet it to all your followers and follow us. That's at stormfrontfreak. Or go to our Facebook page at facebook.com slash stormfrontfreaks. Find the contest post, share it with your friends, and like our page. If you missed it, go to stormfrontfreaks.com and see the instructions there. Good luck. Contest ends April 19th, so hurry. And now, back to our podcast. All right, welcome back, everyone. We are now going to take a look at our next segment, which is Weather Fools. And this is where we all go out and look for videos that... Maybe uh, somebody's making a fool of themselves, uh, something to do with the weather. And so we like to talk about it and uh, maybe call you out on it. So I think we've got a couple of them here today. Uh, Dina, what do you have for us? Okay. Uh, I'm going to share my screen here. Okay. All right. So this is from um, Mustard TV, which I had never heard of. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think they're maybe from like uh, London or something from her accent, but she's got the it's a weather fool, but it's so funny because she had a great view on us. She's a reporter. She's talking about the weather and she got a little too close to the road. So she's talking about how rainy it is and she gets hit by all the oh, rain oh, um, no, or like from all the, the puddles. Yes. <laughs> so then she comes oh, down again and she gets it right in the face. <laughs> oh, at least she's like, did. she's swearing and she's laughing, yes. but it's so funny. And she had such a great view on it. She did, because uh, that could have you know, been really bad. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you could have, you know, you could have like um, gotten upset and yeah, forgot about it. But she laughed it off. It was great. That was that's a good one. That's what you have to do. You've got to do that. Yeah, if you laugh, the the audience will laugh with you, right? Yeah, and mm-hmm. she got it right in the face. Oh, that's <laughs> awesome! All that makeup. Oh, yeah. what a mess. All that time and hair and makeup. Exactly. I would have been mad. I would have been too. All my <laughs> hair and makeup. I worked hard on that stuff. That's good. I have to look pretty. Uh, that's right. Dang it. That was a good one. All right, Phil. What do you have for us? All right. So my weather fool. We had uh, some recent storms over the past heck over the past almost two weeks. It seems. This is down in the southeast, and I say this because sometimes tornadoes can go through a populated area, and in this case, actually does something kind of good. Uh, this was this is in Tennessee. There's a tornado that hit a trailer park, and it flipped over the trailer, and what it did is it exposed a pot growing operation. Oh, I love it. And so That's all their so black lights and all their uh, pot growing stuff and all the pot 
I think it said in the article how much pot they found. Um, oh my god! It was like a sheriff wow. said, "Hey, I found a pile of green leafy material." That's not mine, officer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. The tornado blew it in from the other county. They found uh, containers, piping, and grow lights. Oh uh, my they recovered, gosh! Here it is: twenty-eight pounds of marijuana nice. from the property. Ooh. How much is that? I wonder how much that goes for. And various drug paraphernalia. So they, they didn't list the owner. The owner was still actually at large. Wow. Surprise. Yeah. Uh, but my weather fool <laughs> is the owner of the pot growing operation in the trailer that wasn't tied That's down awesome. and got hit by a tornado. And, and the this police... one is going to tell us the street value of that. There's That's, a lesson yeah. there. I don't know. Was that in Texas? Did you say that was in Tennessee? Tennessee. Tennessee. So in Colorado, could you have written that off? Maybe. (laughs) Don't give them ideas. I know. Exactly. All right, cool. Good stuff, guys. All right. What what else do we have coming up here? All right. We got some weather resources, Kim, which is awesome. It's, it's all the new latest stuff, places you can go check out the newest and greatest weather apps or weather uh, information. So we're going to kick things off first. Let's, let's, let's go with you, Kim. Okay, cool. All right. Now this, this isn't like a really like a weather resource that you're going to, you know, um, I don't know, get all kinds of cool information about how to forecast weather. This is actually, um, you got me really excited now. What? Okay, what? this is, <laughs> but it's I'm really related. Excited. You really is, set that up but, to get me like, okay, this is going to be great. Okay, so this is a weather, um, let me share this with you. This is an honor of the super outbreak. Uh-oh, is that doing something weird, guys? Cool. Well, it'll show up. Okay, it takes a couple seconds. Okay, the super outbreak of 1974, the April 3rd, 4th. Do you guys remember hearing about this movie that was made years ago called The Day of the Killer Tornadoes? Yeah, but you Anybody got to pull that? it up. You got to click on the tab so we can see the tab. Yeah. Oh, shoot. Let me see it's like looking in a mirror of a mirror. Yeah, why is it doing mirror. Mirror. You got to click on your tab. Click on the tab that has the video on it. Oh, up there. Yep. There you go. I'm going to figure this out one day. You guys, I'm so sorry. Yeah. Okay. We have faith. Too much, too so much wine. This, uh, yeah. Well, beer and wine. So this <laughs> movie, of course, you know, I'm a big super outbreak geek. And, uh, and so this movie was just so awesome. It's kind of cheesy though, for those of you who are a lot younger than me. And, and if you listen to this, if you're into radio, especially this takes on that dramatic radio presence, you know, that mm-hmm. back then this was the way to actually get warned, but this goes into all the different tornadoes that day. And um, especially look at this. There um, the Louisville tornado, the Cincinnati tornado, the Xenia tornado, the, um, the Huntsville tornado back on that day, kind of cheesy. Cause they put this, like destruction part in there that I know it's not really what happened, but they had that in there. But the teletype, they had to put out warnings on a typewriter. They had to actually use the warning system back then that was, um, I think it was called the Thunderbolt Mechanical Siren, that they actually um, called it in and the sirens went off and alerted people. And in Cincinnati, they hadn't done that in 17 years. Sounds like the bat phone. It is exactly, that's exactly what it's, that's exactly right. But, you know, they got video here in Louisville of the tornado. And then the one in Cincinnati I wanted to show. There we go. That's the one that I saw from my house. Um, this was in Green Township. 
And if you listen to this, they actually have clip or clips from the radio broadcast that day. I mean, back in 74. So this is just amazing. They put this together. And of course, they got the Xenia tornado in here too. And just a lot of the old stuff. There's that old footage that um, is really impressive. So those of you in Cincinnati, especially if you're watching this, or yeah. Xenia, this is a great one to watch. And again, it's kind of cheesy the way they put it together, but you learn so much about how warnings went out back then. And actually after that is when they started putting the sirens. Oh, there we go. There's that hook in Xenia, the WSR 57. Oh, that's cool. And so at one point, Cincinnati actually had five of those echoes on there. The, uh, wow. Dopp the uh, Doppler radar, the radar back in Cincy. And of course the train got hit in Xenia. So anyway, so that's it guys. Just a great thing. It's on YouTube. You can find it. And uh, just watch this. If you're a, if you're a tornado geek or a weather geek, this is incredible. You see that Xenia tornado right there in the multi-vortex tornado, just an incredible uh, video to watch. So anyway, that's mine. Kim, that's don't cool, bash Kim. the teletype. I mean, I, oh, used to I know. Oh, it was always gosh. like this in from the weather service, a tornado <laughs> and you're waiting is that watch your warning you're like right okay break in you know so yeah. i know well you know all since our, adding... all our uh, 16 to 20 whatever the the bracket is 16 to 24 year olds just said what the hell are these people talking about they're gone <laughs> what the hell is the teletype Oh, I know. Well, it's just, it's just, it, and even, you know, using the sirens, they didn't, Xenia uh, didn't have any sirens. So after Cincinnati, a lot of people were saved because of the sirens because they were only yeah. used for air raid back then. And all of a sudden these sirens are all, go off and people are calling in. What is that? It's, well, there's a tornado. And people had saved a lot of people's lives. After that outbreak, they started putting those sirens all over these cities. So right. it, it was a cool thing. So it was funny. Yeah. We were talking to Gabe about how to warn people and, I thought this fit in with that. So awesome. Cool. Good job on that. Thanks, huh? Nice. I enjoy All it. Right. Dina, you got something, don't you? Yeah. Uh, this is a new website that um, I just discovered. One of the other forecasters that I work with showed it to me. It's called Pivotal Weather. Um, and it's pivotalweather.com. And what I like is that you can click on models. And you can look at different models, and I like their color tables especially. Like, so say you want to look at the GFS, you can pick different ones, the European, um, the HER, but you can kind of pick different levels, uh, surface and precipitation, upper air, if you want to look at, say, the 500 millibar uh, vertical velocity, or, uh, velocity, you can kind of look at it. If you come up to the top, uh, you can animate it. You can do a forecast hour loop. Um, and you can either drag it through or click through it. Um, and you can, I don't think I need to shrink this down a little bit. You can kind of um, go through there. And I like this at severe weather, you know, especially with yesterday when you were looking at the 500, you could see a lot of uh, difluence aloft. The 500. <laughs> you know, I don't want to get too crazy, but you know, whoa, you can whoa, whoa, whoa. hold on, hold on. <laughs> uh -oh. at the 500. Uh -oh. <laughs> what the hell are you talking about? 500 millibars. Not, not the Indy 500. Hey, you got to cut this science -y crap. Meteorologist, what the hell are you talking about? This time I had the bifurcating winds, it was awful. <laughs> but you can even click on a city and it'll take you a second and it'll pull up um, its sounding and everything. So it's it's actually really cool if you're into that. Um, if you know what the hell that is. Then if you know what the hell cool. I'm talking about, Useful. then you get it. If you don't. Oh, Move well. on. Yeah. Move on. <laughs> if you do that, just go watch the video Kim shared. And yeah. 
<laughs> nice. Cool. Well, thank you. Thank you, Cam. That was awesome. All right, let's move on. To, I said Kim. I'm sorry, Dina. Dina, yeah, Kim. I did, okay. And I didn't We're mean to. I don't mean to who your like, WX resource, Dina. But yeah, exactly. You yeah, got just, in, you got into talking some lingo. No, you, you just you got into talking <laughs> some lingo and you lost me. Talking fancy, talking yeah, fancy. You, if you're going to talk resource, then you're if big you're looking at that right. one resource, they got to go look exactly. at Thank you, Kim. Smarty pants. Wow, smarty pants. Smarty I got my smarty pants we, on. This is how we learn. <laughs> she does have the smarty pants on. <laughs> Take it away. All right. So, so my weather resource is less technical. It's more for the boys and girls that like their weather toys. Uh, I've got two of them to share with you. One of them is Indina. Yeah, uh, you've got one of Ooh. these. The AccuRite lightning detector. Right here. Oh, nice. This, you see how handheld, it's a little handheld portable thing. It's actually got a belt clip on it. But it detects lightning and storms within 25 miles. It'll give you an estimated distance. When it, when it catches the lightning, it'll tell you roughly how close it is to you. It's got a light. It's, it's uh, got a warning alarm to it. It'll send you a text uh, on the device. There's text on there as well, uh, which is just, this is outstanding for anybody that is outside in the weather, meaning you are, you're a golfer, baseball, your kids in their sports games and stuff like that to have this readily available. Um, If you like to fish, hunt, do those kinds of things to have it with you or hike when you're out quite a ways from safety, this will give you a heads up in advance when that's coming. So that's number one. Who's beeping? Yeah, that was me. I'm turning it around. off. Yeah, there's, yeah, there's Is there lightning, lightning where you are? I was giving you a better <laughs> live. It's live going off. Display here. All right. All right. Okay. The uh, the second item I wanted to show you is an Accurite handheld anemometer. Uh, so if you are a spotter or storm chaser, this is a cool device. The the wind meter, the anemometer itself, extends upward Ooh, from the device. Look at that. Oh, I need isn't that kind of nice. cool. All right. Uh, it's got a little LED light at the end of it. I don't have batteries in it right now, but there's a little LED light at the end. But it measures well, temperature, for? humidity. Uh, when when, I don't, when it gets dark in a storm and you need a light to see something. <laughs> I don't know. Okay. But it measures, listen, it not only measures wind speed, it measures temperature, humidity. It'll mm-hmm. give you a heat index. It'll give you a wind chill index. Uh, all is measurable. It also gives you the altimeter is on here, so it gives you an altitude Ooh. of where you're at. But one cool little handheld device, to me, it's just great because it can help you measure wind speed. And if you're a spotter or chaser, uh, that can be important information you can pass on to the National Weather Service. I just want to mm. carry it around in my purse. Yeah. <laughs> and cool. pull it out once Pull it out and look, look cool. cool. <laughs> I'll miss all right, you. So we will have we will have all of our weather fools and all of our WX resources we'll post in our show notes, which you can find on stormfrontfreaks.com. Let's uh get to any listener questions or comments, MJ. Yeah, we've got a few. We had actually an active uh chat, YouTube chat going on tonight. Love you guys. Good. Oh, good way, activity. Right? Paul, Debbie, Richard, and others were uh, having a lot of good conversations, so we appreciate that for sure. Um, Dennis Brecht uh, tweeted a question to us uh, that I think maybe Dina has the answer to. Uh, How how many uh, tornado fatalities were there in 2016? In 2016, I just looked it up under the Storm Prediction Center. There were 17. Um, 
So they had a couple in January, February, April, hmm. and November. But you know what's interesting is it's 2017. We're only in what April, and there's 27 already. Wow! Yeah. Wow! Yeah. It's so, been active. Yeah. It's been active year. Yeah. 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 And yep. Georgia's had the Good. most tornadoes this year already. Mm-hmm. That's Good. insane. Wow. Th- thank, thanks, that Dean. Is insane. Yep. Thanks, okay. Dean, for answering that. Um, uh, at Marshall G Music uh, on Twitter also uh, sent us a comment after our last show. Uh, said, excellent move having Chris do a Titan U minute on your podcast. Subscribe. So uh, thanks, Marshall, for subscribing. I agree. Thanks. That's a cute little thanks. segment. Awesome segment. If, if, you, if you're watching, you're missing it because we only put it on our audio podcast. Correct. But uh, the, the Titan U minute, I always got some neat Storm Chaser kind of um, tips is really what it is. So he does a good job with that. Yeah. Yep. And uh, finally, or another one, actually, Dennis Becht again, uh, after, of course, the accident says, I'm devastated. Kelly and Randy were a part of the same team I'm with. Thoughts and prayers going out and some tears as well. And we also did have a few comments on our episode 17 on YouTube, uh, folks who uh, passed on condolences as well. So yeah. we want to recognize that as well. And that's it. Yeah. Okay, and I, on that note, I'll, I'll let everybody know that next week, April 13th, uh, so basically next Thursday, we will be re-airing episode 17 with Kelly Williamson. Uh, we were fortunate enough to have him as a guest right after Christmas uh, this past year, so about four months ago, uh, we had him on as a guest, and that was episode 17. You can find it on our YouTube channel, but we're also going to be airing that on Oklahoma Weather Tracker TV to kind of celebrate his life and in honor of him. That will be next week on Oklahoma Weather Tracker TV uh, if you want to follow that. But uh, otherwise, I think that about does it for uh, this episode of Stormfront Freaks. And if you have been watching or if you're listening, we, we appreciate you taking the time to do that. I hope you enjoyed the show. Leave us a review on iTunes if you're listening to us on your iPhone or iPad uh, or Mac or whatever. Uh, we'd love the the iTunes reviews because it just helps other people. Excuse me, helps other people find us. Wanted a special thanks to Gabe Garfield for coming on. And our next episode in two weeks, we're a biweekly show, is going to be on April twentieth again at nine o'clock Eastern, eight o'clock Central. We will be with, and this is kind of neat. You guys know we we've had a stretch here of of having storm chasers on lately yep mm-hmm. we're taking a quick break from that uh and we're going to have on a, a tv meteorologist and here's the here's the part i want to learn more about and i think it's pretty cool he's also the forecaster for roto grinders fantasy sports roto grinders.com is a interesting site hmm. and he does the forecasting for now he's doing all the major league baseball games wow oh, nice. he does their forecasting he's also oh. doing the pga golf events uh, and I think I think he's been doing the um, uh, college football, maybe NFL, but I know he's been doing uh, those Ooh. outdoor games as well. So just need to find out that he's got to be active in forecasting all of those sporting events wow. for uh-huh, the people fun. that are laying down big bucks on fantasy sports now. Right. There's, there's no pressure, no pressure no. at all. Exactly. <laughs> so, so, so go to stormfrontfreaks.com and, and you can watch it live. This will be in two weeks on the 20th. So, for MJ and Maz and Dina and Kim, uh, we don't have Brady tonight. He's 
on a date, I think. <laughs> Good for him. We couldn't quite figure it out. He was calling it some kind of hockey championship. But yeah. We don't know what it is. but That's, that's what they call it these days. I'm, okay. I'm going to go ahead and signal wow. the all clear, and we will catch you all next time. Bye. 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 Bye, everybody. Thank you for listening to the Stormfront Freaks podcast. To subscribe and be notified when new episodes of our bi-weekly show are available, you can go to iTunes, Google Play, or your favorite podcast app and search for Stormfront Freaks. If you would like to contact us with questions or make comments about the show, shoot us an email to questions at stormfrontfreaks.com or follow us on Twitter at stormfrontfreaks. We'd love to hear from you. For show notes, additional information about this episode, as well as past and upcoming shows, videos, photos, and more, visit our website at stormfrontfreaks.com. While you're there, check out the interactive radar provided by our friends at zoomradar.com, providing interactive weather content for web, mobile, and digital displays at cost-effective prices, zoomradar.com. And don't forget to follow us on Facebook at facebook.com slash stormfrontfreaks. Join us next time and tell a friend about the Stormfront Freaks podcast.